Happy Hour, a podcast about breaking into the animation industry over a couple of drinks. All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and are not representative of the companies for whom we work. My name is Garrett. I'm Ben. And I'm Katie. We are all feature film animators currently working at Disney. Yes. So, very excited to say that for today's episode, we will be drinking some Q and Ales. Ah! Uh, <laughs> great. Thank you. Pause for reaction. <laughs> so, you might be asking, what is that? Well, it's, it's a nice, laid back, simple drink. It's just a nice, any ale of your choosing. And if you got some cues that you're asking in the meantime, then you, my friend, are enjoying a cue and ale. And I'm enjoying mine today in a wonderful uh, Hogwarts mug that Katie and I got last time we went to Universal Studios. Uh, we'll put a picture of it in the show notes, maybe. <laughs> what is the specific ale in your Hogwarts? I am drinking Polliner Pfeffheisen from the Red Lion Tavern <laughs> in the Silver, Silver Lake. Lake area. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason that we chose this pun for the drink is because this month's episode is our very first Q&A episode, otherwise known as Question and Answer. Um, we, a little while ago, posted for questions from our listeners, and you guys certainly delivered. Um, so we, we super thank you for sending us your questions. Um, and we wanted to give a brief little disclaimer, because since we are still very much in quarantine, uh, the audio might not be so great, and we apologize for that. We are recording remotely. Ben and I are in Los Feliz, and Garrett's in Burbank, and we're on a video chat. So the audio is not as good as usual, but we still want to deliver you content. So thanks for tuning in. The information should be equal. But the, the information is A+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> we hope. Yeah, not good with. Um, yeah, and if you are listening to this and we didn't get to your question, we actually got so many questions. We were super happy with all the questions we got that um, we couldn't, we're not going to be able to get through every single one. So um, just a big thank you guys. Thank you again to uh, all of you guys for sending in questions. And we definitely want to do this again. Um, I think answering questions is like, pretty fun to tackle these things just because getting direct feedback from from listeners which is cool yeah, yeah for sure we can you know talk ad nauseum about any random little subject within animation but it's when these you know you guys send in specific questions that's always really exciting so we're going to kick things off with our first question is a fun nice and easy one to uh, <laughs> you, know, you know get things going um, from at Mary underscore animates on Instagram asks, if you could have worked on any animated movie, young or old, which one would it be? Hmm. Fantastic. It's a really great question. I, uh, I guess I can start. I kind of cheated with this one a little bit. I hope you guys aren't mad. Excellent. Starting things off right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the first one I thought of was 2D and I can't draw. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well... <laughs> um, I should think of two, but the first one I, I picked for this was The Iron Giant, because I love that movie so much. It's one of my favorite animated movies, and I feel like it is almost a perfect movie. Um, so, be in that. I was just going to say, yeah, the big robot, I could, the, the Iron Giant himself, I could have animated. Um, 
But in terms of like a, a more like CG centric one, I thought Toy Story, the original would be a really cool one to animate because it was like where it all began. And I just think that would be super cool to start off with that. Yeah, Definitely. those are some good picks. Dang. Yeah. For me, I right away, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox came to mind. Mm. That was definitely yeah. the movie that made me want to do stop motion. And it was just every scene was just a little feast and I would have loved to have worked on it. And for CG, um, I think the biggest one, sorry, I'm going to list like 10 movies. The biggest <laughs> ones for me were Up and Zootopia. I just, I would have killed to have worked on the opening scene of Up, um, the opening montage, Married Life. And uh, Zootopia, there were just so many fun moments. Like, I would even love to have worked on crowds in Zootopia because even the crowd cycles with all the different animals are so much fun. Yeah. Um, and so unique. So, yeah, those are yeah. my big three. So close. You missed that one by what, like two years, three years? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. For me, I I wish I came up with a better response. So I just went with, but <laughs> there are a couple different ones. If I was, yeah, if time didn't matter and I could was really good at two D animation, I loved the Jungle Book growing up, the original two D version one. Yeah, obviously, um, would have loved to work on that. Another huge one that stood out to me when I was a little younger was uh, Monsters Incorporated. Oh my gosh, good one. I was just, when that movie came out, it just blew my mind. I loved it so much from the character designs, the you know story, all everything together. I just was obsessed with it. So that was another big one. Is there a character in the Jungle Book that you would have liked to animate the most? Oh man, gosh. It's, I gotta say, <laughs> I mean, it might be the most obvious ones, but I think Shere Khan and Baloo would have been yeah. pretty, pretty amazing for sure. I All always loved Baloo and Shere Khan. Tiger so stripes. Cool. Yeah, that maybe yeah. I would have. <laughs> maybe the deer then. <laughs> well, for our second question, um, this question comes from at Stalls Art. S-T-A-L-S-A-R-T. I'm not exactly sure how that's pronounced. But the question is, what are your animation workflows? What are some things you do to speed up your work? Good question, Stalsart. Um, <laughs> we apologize if that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> so uh, to begin with, I'm going to talk a little bit about just kind of the rough outline overall the framework of my workflow, and I think for all three of us, kind of our workflows when um, approaching a shot. So to begin with, we see that we have a shot or run of shots assigned to us. Um, we find out from a production person or we see it in shotgun or something like that. And then after that, um, with the brainstorming and stuff, depending on the shot, if it's applicable, we'll go and shoot reference, um, which uh, as we we actually said this in a previous Instagram post, it could be you actually acting out the shot or it could just be you with your hand kind of like doing a bouncing ball thing to show like the rhythm of the shot or anything, just or gathering outside reference for yourself. You can call on some friends if you have a shot with multiple characters and yep. need help with that. Exactly. So then after reference, we'll edit that down and have like a take or a few takes we like that we want to work from. 
So then we'll set up and organize our scene, uh, which we might have done a little bit of that already during the kind of brainstorming and figuring things out stage. But this is where we'll actually go into Maya or whatever software you're using and probably put our reference on a reference plane. Um, sometimes people will just have the reference open outside of Maya and be looking at it that way. So that's totally fine as well. And we'll kind of like optimize things to make sure the scene is running about as fast as it can. You, we might be hiding some environments and stuff and uh, any of that sort of thing. And then we actually start blocking the shot. And this could be, we'll talk about this a little later, but it could be true blocking where everything's on stepped, or it could be kind of a spline blocking sort of thing. Um, and then once we have something kind of um, recognizable, um, so then you go into spline where you're putting everything on ones and getting, you know, all the kinks and everything ironed out while also implementing any notes that have come up. And then after spline, you go and polish the shot as much as possible. Um, but that's basically it. Yeah, I'm um, going like a little more nitty gritty into block spline and polish and like what that means for me. Um, blocking for me is kind of this process of I scrub through my video reference and I kind of keep an eye out for what are the most stronger key poses in the reference. And I might kind of be looking at some extremes where I definitely know that there needs to be a key there, which could be like, if a character's walking like when their heel makes contact and then when their toe makes contact during a step or um just any kind of th poses i'll look for that i know are pretty noticeable or kind of hitting at the extreme um and i'm i don't know if you guys do this i think you do i i'm sort of more of a hybrid spline person where um i start in spline right away just because i like to kind of know what's happening in my curves. Um, I have my graph editor open and visible while I'm blocking just to make sure nothing crazy is happening in there. I do a lot of flicking uh, between those keys. So I have hot keys set for previous key and next key. And I have my reference plane in Maya because that flicking actually helps me see what's happening in my reference and kind of tracking what is moving and how much and polish to me is a matter of checking arcs <laughs> and like putting an arc tracker on pretty major body parts like the hips and the nose and the hands anything that um, is moving and noticeable I'll be tracking arcs checking knee pops with that um, and a lot of asking a friend to look at something and say, hey, do you notice anything that I should clean up? Because after a week or two of looking at your own shot, you kind of get fatigued and you can't you see things. So I often ask friends for help. Um, but yeah, those are kind of what blocks blind polish mean to me. I think you guys did an amazing job just going over the, um, the workflow. And I, I agree with how you guys do it. I think I'm the same way. Um, just to touch upon some things that speed up or that have speed up my workflow, just really quick points to that, that help me as one, this might be obvious, but learn to use hotkeys, um, things like little things that seem stupid, but like control S for save or control shift S save new version, or like Katie mentioned, uh, toggling between frames, next frame, previous frame, all that stuff adds up 
to saving a lot of time. And if you can learn more of those, that's great. Um, another thing that both Katie and Ben touched upon um, are definitely explore different workflows. So if you're a person who typically blocks and stepped, trying out a spline approach might really, really speed you up. It did. I feel like I've kind of gone back and forth with like starting out blocked. I used to only start start out with stepped keys. Now I'm more spline first because I'm faster that way. But then some instances, like there's shots where block first is better. So just experiment with different workflows that you're not um, uh, used to because you might surprise yourself. You might find a better, more efficient way of working. Um, that's one thing. Also, be on the lookout for new tools like Animbot, EB WorldSpace. Like, be on the internet looking for new tools that your software uses because seriously, not only can it have a profound impact on your workflow and like the way you animate, but it can just speed you up so much. Um, I, I love. I mean, we all kind of like geek out about the latest tools and stuff. Like, it's so fun to to find out um, different things to help in that respect. And the last thing I wanted to mention in terms of speeding up workflow is this isn't really technical, but I think it's important to keep in mind to uh, that your thinking and planning should be like 50% of the work of your shot. So if you can avoid being in Maya as long as possible or whatever software you're in, like if you can, like I almost challenge um, animators to like think of a shot like a dialogue shot. And for the first week, don't touch Maya. Like literally thumbnail or just do reference and try different versions of that and then have a, a solid, you know, really good direction to go. And then when you're in Maya, you're going to be like lightning speed because you know exactly what you want to do. Because we, we talk about this a lot, but like posing is so hard, animating and touching the curves and all that stuff. It's like, that takes so long. So um, definitely keep that in mind as you go forward with your shots. Yeah, that's such a good point. All right, so for number three, we have a fun one by Rachel underscore 0310 underscore 1996, which might be a birthday, not totally sure, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, what activities do you do that aren't physically animating that help you be a better animator? That's a great question. I think the number one obvious answer is drawing. Um, when you draw, you are studying posing, you're observing people and animals, maybe at the zoo, um, and picking up on quirks of behavior and learning about anatomy just through trying to copy or, or even sometimes exaggerate what you're seeing by drawing on the page. Um, other ones that come to mind right away are um, actually studying music. I think... Um, a lot of us have musical backgrounds and there's something about being familiar with rhythm and syncopation, which I feel like I apply when I animate in a weird way where I can just kind of tell that I want things to have a certain rhythm. And I don't know if you guys do this, but when I play my animation, I have this weird like track going in my head where I'm going like do, 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 do or something. Cause I know like how I want it to and what I want the like how I want it to hit it's hard to explain but I think I do kind of have like a weird musical track sometimes when I'm animating and certainly if you're animating the music it's helpful to be able to follow it um just watching movies is great you pick up on what's good acting what's bad acting um learning about 
film theory and cinematography and composition, I think is really important and helps you um, think about your shots more in context and how do they support the bigger picture and the whole, um, all of that is super valuable. Um, and then <laughs> these are kind of, my next few are kind of more just um, spiritual <laughs> things, I, I guess. I don't know how to best to, to describe it, but things like, I think meditation helped me be a better animator because I can, I don't know, it, it's sort of a, an act of self-care where I'm trying to, as best I can, shelve any insecurities I have and make my mind more focused. Um, and I think that's just kind of a healthy practice that I know a lot of animators have. Um, I think being uh, or exercising and engaging in fitness activities is also helpful because you're in touch with your body. Like, I don't know if this is weird, but I do it when I go running. Sometimes I think about body mechanics and it's helpful to think about what is your body doing and then acting it out and feeling it is another thing rather than just watching a video of it. Um, so I do think fitness can help and then just living your life and having relationships and traveling, um, just any basically creating experiences that you can draw upon in your animation later. Like I can't count the number of times where I'm working on a shot or an animation and can refer back to some experience in my life. Um, so it's so important that you get out there and, um, cherish your relationships and friendships and have new experiences. Cause if you just sit on your computer all day and you never leave, like you won't have those experiences to draw upon. Um, wow. I just really went on a long time. <laughs> Do you guys have anything really, to add? Really good. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you think podcasting has helped you as to be a better animator? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe so actually kind yeah. of reflecting on you know your own workflows and stuff and that's being true. like oh wow yeah, talking with you guys yeah just getting yeah it. yeah and being like oh this is a good I know this is a good practice for an animator to do but I know I don't do it very much so <laughs> the fact that you know we meet and talk about it as a podcast I feel like there have been a few things that have helped there and really I mean that's the cool thing about animation right is that it's Animation is anything, really. You never know. You could be animating like a a warrior or an, an insect or a machine or a car or anything, you know, super mm -hmm. emotional stuff, super physical. So really, as far as what activities that can help you be a better animator, just about anything, <laughs> as long as you're observant and are thinking about those things as an animator, you know? Yeah going out and having drinks with friends and just watch your buddies and see what they're doing. <laughs> How do what, they pick up their mug? <laughs> yeah, and what weird little idiosyncrasies they have, or, you know, that that's kind of a cool thing. That's why I most, one of the things I most love about this uh, industry is that, you know, really anything is applicable. Yeah. Reading I just watch, I just, I just watch Ben's face through the Zoom and I just learn about appeal. Oh my god! Oh man, <laughs> HR. But I also kind of like it. So I don't know. 
<laughs> you guys can't see him, unfortunately. So we'll just have <laughs> Thank to trust goodness. Gary. Just imagine something appealing. <laughs> <laughs> we will not attach pictures. <laughs> no, I think you guys uh, really hit on some really good stuff. I know for me, I, I just like love movies, and I like to use that as an excuse of me like learning animation better, but I just genuinely just like to watch movies and, and TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there, it's true. You can even like, even bad TV or bad reality show, not that that's bad necessarily, but you can learn <laughs> about people and, and their reactions. I love watching reactions of people to different things. So, yeah. I totally, actually, that's a great example. It's, it's awesome when we see like a really good TV show or movie but one of my favorite things to do is to take one that is not so good. And then Katie and I will talk for hours about like, okay, how could this point have been like reinforced a little better? Or how could we have been more invested, emotionally invested in this character? And I feel like I learned a ton from that too. Just, you know, have you, guys, maybe I'll cut this out, but have you guys seen the movie Cats at all? Oh, <laughs> no, we, we haven't watched yet. it now. <laughs> We should do a live stream where we just watch cats and <laughs> observation. It is a fascinating movie. All, that's all I'll say. I heard, you know, Ronnie from DreamWorks watched it, or watched like the first 15 minutes, and he was like, everything you think of when you see the trailer and stuff, it's like that like turned up to 11. Like, it's not like, oh, the trailer misrepresented what's going on. It's like, no, it is that weird or weirder. And it's- It doesn't yeah. ramp up, it's immediate. It's not like a slow <laughs> ramp up. It's like, holy shit, you're in the city and there's 50,000 cats and there's like songs and like, it's, it's amazing, yeah. So now we are on to a very, what should I say? <laughs> juicy <laughs> juicy question um controversial controversial sure. any whatever adjective you want to make it sound <laughs> more exciting that's this question um so we got this from multiple listeners and the general gist of the questions were is the animation industry really as bad as people say it is <laughs> and especially it seems like in the last i don't know six months or so there's been quite a bit of negativity about the industry out there. Um, so we wanted to take a moment and kind of um, address that as best we can. Yeah. Um, and like Ben said, this is a really uh, big, big question. I think uh, some of the part of the reason it came up is I believe Janet Chan, who is a, uh, was a Disney TV storyboard artist. She had a video um, about the challenges of, uh, that she experienced during the industry and why she quit the industry. Um, there's also another YouTuber that uh, is an animator who works at ILM, who I can't, I apologize, I can't say the name exactly right, I don't think, but it's Jean Dennis Haas. And he came out with a video recently about um, the challenges of the industry. And I actually think, uh, I encourage anyone to watch the full video when we can link to it in the show notes, but uh, the first 10 minutes of his video is basically the industry sucks. He says the animation industry sucks. And he talks about the hard struggles of the industry, you know, like over time, the layoffs and, and all the negative, negative parts of the industry. But I encourage everyone to watch the full video because um, his point is that every job is hard. Every job that you could have, anything worth pursuing is going to be hard. Nothing is easy. So it's about finding that thing that, that's worth it 
for you to, to go through those struggles. Um, and like one of the things, just to give you a little more context as to his video, he talks about how in school, when you're learning animation, you're learning about principles of animation, squash and stretch and filmmaking and, you know, the art of it, which is super fun. Um, and once you're at a studio working, that's my, that might be like 50% of your job. And the other 50% is the politics or it's the, you know, maybe you're not inspired and all that stuff. So th there is truth to that because honestly, we, you know, we're, we're in a job animation. We're, um, it is a job. It's not like we're all having fun a hundred percent of the time. And certainly it's very hard. And we've all, you know, we talk about in our setbacks and rejections episode, we have all experienced a lot of hardships and that doesn't even go through with everything. And it's hard for sure. But it's, I mean, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I've had very high highs, um, low lows, but very high highs. And I think all of us, you know, it's, it's no one's going to be able to answer this question fully because it's so subjective. Um, we can give you our experiences, but in all these scenarios where you hear things online and hear people's experiences, definitely listen to them, take them with a grain of salt. This is, this is other people's experiences and you kind of need to experience it yourself to get a full understanding of it. Um, but yeah, the reason we did, we're doing this podcast, uh, is we want to inspire people. We want people to come into this industry because we believe in it. And uh, it's certainly hard, but uh, we're having good people come into the industry helps us all too, because that means, hey, you're a cool person and you're going to bring us all up. And, you know, I've certainly met some of the nicest people ever in the animation industry. I mean, it's like people are super nice in, in my experience. So but then you, you, there's other experiences where you, you don't meet nice people. So yeah, it's maybe you guys can kind of chime in here about what I'm, what I'm speaking about, <laughs> but it's a hard yeah. question, right? I think that's all great and super valid that you said that. And I, I like that you, you know, said that, yeah, you know, I listen to those videos where people are saying, you know, the industry sucks and this and that. And because I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, in both videos that you mentioned there, there are some really great points and some legitimate things that students should be uh, prepared for and look out for, um, you know, when they're entering the industry. Uh, that being said, we definitely make, a, we also want to acknowledge that in this podcast, generally we try to err on the more optimistic side of things. Yeah. Um, and we have had, Although we have, you know, like in our setbacks and rejections episode, we do talk about times where things didn't really go our way, but we are very cognizant of the fact that in the grand scheme of things, we've been incredibly lucky and fortunate. Um, so we wanted to put that out there and, you know, say we, we recognize that. And um, yeah, I'm sure Katie has more to add, but one thing I wanted to say that I am so passionate about, and it's kind of, it goes hand in hand with this whole conversation is that, you know, there, there are so many things that are out of your control with, um, you know, whether your dream studio is hiring or not, or movies get pushed back, budgets get slashed, uh, studios move to different countries. Um, you might get in somewhere, then you don't get the shots you wanted to get. Um, although I agree that, most of the people we've dealt with, I, I think we've all been lucky and had very lovely people we've worked with. 
Uh, I'm sure there are supervisors are out there who are maybe have a little chip on their shoulders and, and, you know, are, aren't the most pleasant to work with and our heart goes out to you who, you know, if anybody's going through that right now. Uh, but I'll cut to the chase, but the underlying point I want to make is it's so important to decide for yourself why you're in animation. And I think the reason has to be because a large part of the reason has to be that you just love the process and craft of animating because if you're saying, okay, I I'm only going to be in animation because I want to work at blue sky because I love the ice age movies and stuff. And you know, that's the only reason I want to be an animator. Then it's going to hit you so much harder when you have to work in some other field for a little, or some other, you know, work at a commercial studio for a little longer. I'm giving these just as examples. I don't mean to take away from any, (laughs) don't mean to prop up or take away from any studio. Um, But I think it's so dangerous to put all of your hopes and dreams on having this dream scenario where you go to this one studio and work on a movie that makes all these people cry and stuff. It's great to have that as a goal. But if that is the reason why you're animating, I think, all these difficulties and things that come along with the animation um, industry are going to hit you so much harder because I know like just speaking from experience when I was at uh, freelancing in New York a little bit, I was surrounded by um, wonderful people, but there definitely was a good amount of insecurity about, uh, okay, what my next gig is going to be. And, and maybe we were on a project at the time that didn't have nearly enough time and it was understaffed and there was pressure to, you know, do more footage than was reasonable. And that stinks, you know, and that's, it's not fun to go through that. But on the other side, I was also very happy and grateful to be able to be making a living doing animation because I just enjoyed like, even though it wasn't the best situation at times, I, you know, I was like, you know, this, this is really cool though. I mean, I'm just, I'm making a living as an animator and I enjoy when I'm actually in there posing the character and doing these things. Um, so it's just something I'm, you know, I'll, I'll wrap it up. It's not the most profound point, but <laughs> I, I just think that first and foremost, you have to just enjoy doing animation because yes, there are fantastic, wonderful things about the industry. Yes, there are super scary, super difficult things about the industry. Um, so as, as long as you can focus on why you love it, you know, and you have things that can keep you going outside of even when job security maybe not be there for you or you're not on the project you're most uh, passionate about, you need something that's going to sustain you through that. Um, and for me, I feel like that's just being in love with the craft and enjoy just doing this job for 40 plus hours a week. Um, yeah, I kind of rambled on there for a while. <laughs> but it's, it's a long or it's a very complex question, which like Garrett said, it's very subjective to answer because people have different risk tolerances and um, kind of priorities and uh I would, what I would add to your guys' answers is just to kind of be aware that different studios, different disciplines, 
different fields like VFX versus feature animation versus TV animation have different reputations and trends. Like my understanding, I've never worked in VFX, but my understanding of VFX is that sometimes the hours are worse and the pay can be worse because I think VFX studios are more um, kind of victim to bidding wars where they're bidding for work, um, which means that they agree to do the work for a certain amount of money, but they're competing against a bunch of other studios that are also trying to get the gig. So then sometimes VFX companies will commit to a lower pay just to get the job. Um, and then a lot of VFX studios are not part of any kind of union. So um, paid overtime can sometimes be more of an expectation. And this could go for some animation companies as well, but I'm just kind of generally speaking about the industry. So like I would say, I feel like I hear more horror stories coming out of VFX than I hear coming out of like the big top five like character animation studios um, or top six. But um, and then TV like is a very different culture where I think the deadlines are more aggressive. Um, you get more footage though. So it's kind of hard because some parts of the industry is like comparing apples to oranges. But my main point is just there are, there is a wide range of experiences within this industry. So I don't think it's fair to categorize the whole industry as sucking. But there are definitely parts that do and that can happen in ebbs and flows. Um, within, the, in, within a studio itself, there can be variation on a person's experience. Like a different crew can mean you have absolutely. a great time, like a horrible time. So, to continue this thought, I would just say, that I kind of have the belief that any and every industry kind of has the same low points of possibly facing layoffs um, and hiring managers trying to get you for the lowest pay that they can or things like that. Um, but I don't think every industry has the same high points and the same perks that animation does of of like fulfilling your creative potential and how it stays fresh because you have a new assignment every couple of weeks or every month or so um and just your ability to reach people reach an audience with your animation i find so inspiring and compelling and i'm so passionate about it um and maybe I'm naively positive, but I, yeah, when I compare my experience in animation versus my experience in live action TV and um, sort of my parents' experiences in medicine and that kind of thing, I just, for me, the perks of animation are just so wonderful. I don't mean to diss medicine. I don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I just, yeah, for me personally, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. 
Um, and the only other thing I wanted to mention is like, it's true. People have very different experiences. I know some people that have had pretty smooth sailing where they went to school, they got an internship at one of the top companies right outside of school that led to a job. Um, and it was pretty smooth. And then I know others who had to work a job totally outside of the industry. And then they worked on their portfolio in real and took online classes while they were working a non-industry job. And they toiled in that for years. And then they got their first gig in commercials and gradually worked their way up and then eventually moved into a temp animator position. And um, pe yeah, people have very different experiences. Um, I would characterize all three of our experiences as pretty smooth and positive overall. We did have our setbacks, but overall we've had it pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like the people in those videos or the people they're kind of addressing in those videos, um, certain social media accounts we know of are maybe more negative and I'm sure there's truth to their experience, but it's not, I can say honestly that that's not our three experiences. If you guys agree. Yeah. 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 With a grain of salt. Uh, I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. And I, yeah, I just want to go back to uh, reiterate what Garrett said at the, at the beginning too, where I, I still think it's everything in life in balance, right? Where I still mm -hmm. think it's it's useful to listen to even the most negative you know, portrayals yeah. of the industry because it kind of gives you a clue and you want to stay vigilant and what to look out for. And I, I think as an animator, the thing that will best serve you is to be very nice, but also tough, you know, and, and really easy to work with and, and passionate and, and just a generally friendly person. But then also recognize that animation is a business and there are business people and there are things going on that are outside of your control. And that a lot of responsibility falls on you sometimes to stick up for yourself and to before you accept a booking, say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not working more than 10 hours. And if it is, then it has to be time and a half pay or something. And, and to know to look out for that stuff, it's just half the battle. You know, I, I think you can, you can have a much more positive experience just by kind of knowing the pitfalls of the industry and, and knowing how to do your best to avoid them. And of course, everything is situational too. Like if you just you'll take anything, you got bills to pay. You, that's totally fair. We understand. Um, you can't always be super choosy, but um, um, yeah. So if I tried to summarize everything, <laughs> I would say the, the industry, there are some very bad parts of it. There are some amazing parts of it. Uh, all three of us have been very lucky and have had a great journey so far, knock on wood. And I think the best you can do is Focus on what's what makes you passionate about animation, and and uh, you know be pleasant, but stick up for yourself. And uh, I, I guess I I want to say as well, like it, there's no shame in if this industry is not for you too. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody's like in high school and is figuring out if they want to be an animator, um, or if maybe they kind of want to do something else that 
just do animations and stuff on the side, that's totally fine too. Um, yeah. You know, it's like any discipline. It's, I mean, it's not for everyone, that's for sure. But but I think anyone can do it if they have the right mindset and yeah. you know, put in the work. Anecdotally, like I talked about this in setbacks and uh, rejections. Like I basically decided the stop motion industry wasn't for me because the challenges of that industry, I decided were too difficult for me. Like I thought that it was very stressful, the kind of freelance lifestyle that stop motion animators usually have to have of lining up gig after gig and moving to different cities for different gigs. Um, And there have been multiple times where my stop motion animation friends are actively looking for work for months at a time. And that can be a reality for other parts of the animation industry. And it's very real. Um, And for me, that's why I pivoted to CG. I just knew CG work was more consistent. And that was a choice I made. And it might be a choice that you make about the overall animation industry. Mm -hmm. So we definitely don't want to sugarcoat it. There are difficult parts and you will make choices about how you feel about that. (laughs) And um, it's definitely a reality. And it's a reality that we all three of us have like dealt with and addressed. So um, yeah, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge like, there are genuinely difficult parts and you'll discover that and you might react to it. And just one more quick thing to add about that is yes, there are so many difficult parts about the industry and you're going to go through a lot of difficult challenges and stuff. And it's going to be really hard, but there is absolutely nothing like showing your shot, you know, to a group of people or to, you know, online or something and getting a reaction, seeing people actually react, whether they're laughing at the shot or they're emotional from the shot. Like to me, that's kind of like why I got into this to filmmaking and animation in general is like removing people. And as it sounds corny, but it's like the, the highs are so high. Like when you get, uh, comments, you know, you show in dailies or something and people are like, wow, you really did a good job on your shot. And, um, those moments are like just super big highlights. So it's worth it. I think it's worth it. (laughs) It's like, well, I never played baseball, but it's like, (laughs) but it's just like baseball. It's just like hitting a home run or something, or it's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Like my, I have, (laughs) I, Okay, I played lacrosse and field hockey and I've scored goals, so it's like that. Oh, but awesome. um <laughs> like I have a three year old niece and she knows all of the lyrics to the Frozen Two songs and when she sings the lyrics that I animated to, I can't describe that feeling. It really is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. And you know, we're just going on and on with yeah. this <laughs> It's probably the longest question. When I was working in commercials, uh, somebody wrote to PSYOP this really heartfelt letter about, um, gosh, this is like a a downer and an upper at once, but they had a relative who was, (laughs) yes, get ready, enjoy this. Um, They had a relative who was in the hospital dealing with something, some sort of um, 
you know, sickness and said, one of the only things that were making them happy is they would see these goofy cricket wireless commercials we were doing with like these little dancing blob monsters and stuff. And they're just like, hey, we just wanted to pass along. This is bringing so much joy, even though it's a silly little thing, this character dancing alongside of, you know, like more 4G LTE coverage than Team of Roller Sprint. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's so cool too. Um, awesome. You know, and not that, you know, that's necessarily the reason. Again, I still think, you know, being happy just doing the craft, for me at least, is one of the most important things. But yeah, it is so cool. And you never know what you're doing might touch someone in some way. I it's thought, kind of icing on top. I thought Ben was going to talk about when he animated <laughs> this Archer no character. Archer. And, oh. and there were all of these comments of guys talking about how hot she was. Wait, it was, wait, what was the game she's it's, from? It's Clash of Clans. Yeah, we're going to have to post this. No. <laughs> it's like a slow-mo shot of this Archer character releasing an arrow. <laughs> and then there was like a string of comments where guys were talking about how sexy she was. That was amazing. Yeah, I was, I was not expecting that. And I was like, hey, that, that's why I do it. <laughs> for these, for these <laughs> turning on a bunch of anonymous internet guys <laughs> hey whatever that's floats right. your boat right <laughs> that's right um, yeah good times all right yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i think we can put that one to bed now <laughs> next question this one i think will be pretty quick from at lyc arts could you get into the industry purely off of your work with no art degree? I'll take a moment to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do have a good, I think, Katie, you should do the caveat since you were the one who thought of this initially. But generally, yeah, no, no one cares. <laughs> like I said, Katie and I technically have master's degrees in animation. I think out of the like close to 70 animators at DreamWorks <laughs> when I was there, I think maybe two people knew that. And then at Disney, <laughs> unless any of the animators are listening right now, I would say zero of them know. <laughs> so yeah, it's all about your real. Yeah, I mean, there are like even directors, like I think the Bancroft brothers didn't graduate from college and they have high school degrees so oh, they, yeah, right. they definitely didn't yeah. need art degrees to reach like the highest level of animation like one was a director and one was an animation supervisor and have directed other projects so definitely not a requirement as we have said pretty often in the podcast your portfolio and your work is definitely the most important thing um, when you're applying to a job but the two big caveats that we'll give about whether or not you need an art degree are um, it's, I'm pretty sure that a degree is very helpful, if not required, for you to apply and get accepted for an international visa in the US, um, especially because for a lot of the kind of entry-level programs like the apprentice program at Disney and other internship programs we know of. Very often, if they're international applicants, they are getting in on a student visa, which requires them to have been in school recently or currently in school. So that's a giant caveat for our listeners who are listening from abroad. Um, and the second caveat is just if you eventually want to teach, 
in a university, most universities highly prefer that you have a degree. So that's something to keep in mind if long-term you're hoping to teach. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to number six. Uh, this is a question we got emailed to us by Jose Pablo. And the question is, we all know that in order to make good animation, you need to practice. It's like exercising. You need to animate almost every day. My question is if you know a special method to actually practice animation, like some way to increasingly grow and really learn everything you need in the best way, or most of it since you never stop learning. So yeah, the kind of the way I sort of interpreted interpreted <laughs> the way that I <laughs> interpreted. Happy <laughs> Um, I sort of see that as how to work smart and not hard in animation. Like how do you, uh, um, what can you do to just keep learning in the best way? That's a really good question, Jose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I see what you're asking here. Like generally we've kind of mentioned practice, 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 and chip away at your 10,000 hours. But what does that actually mean practicing? Um, and what I would recommend off the bat are doing specific things like maybe practice single poses and spend an hour or more copying a pose from reference or trying to duplicate a pose that you see in an animation. Um, because sometimes when we're doing a key poses, it takes a long time to get the level of detail you need. Um, other specific exercises are little mechanics things like practice doing a head turn and tracking the arc of a nose during a head turn and making the head lead and the chest and hips follow or vice versa, the hips follow or hips lead and then the chest and the head follow. Um, practicing a weight shift, very mechanical things, walk cycles, just the more you animate, the more you learn and try not to animate the same kind of shot over and over again. Don't just do a dialogue piece from the chest up that's dramatic and you keep going for the same tone or the same kind of shot. Definitely vary it up and challenge yourself. Practice using a prop. Practice a shot with two characters interacting. Just always kind of up the ante with your next animation and try something you've never done before because you will keep learning that way. Yeah. <clears throat> I think a, another thing, it, it's such a great question because yeah, it's so easy to say like you're practicing, but it's like, okay, <laughs> what, you know, I can just do a million walk cycles or like, you know, even with drawing or something, it's like, Oh, I can draw the same like creature or whatever, you know, yeah. but like you're not necessarily learning and directly getting better. So I think uh, a great thing too is to have, you know, as you're animating or whatever, have very specific things you want to focus on. Be like, okay, so with this next shot I'm animating, I obviously want to animate the whole thing well, but I am going to focus on graphic eyebrow shapes for this one. You know, so if nothing else, if the rest of my mechanics are a little lacking or, or, you know, they're more part of the course for what I usually do, I am going to look at reference. I'm going to look at, you know, milk call drawings of eyebrows and eyes, and I'm going to look at cool illustrators who, who are really good at facial stuff and other great animated shots and live action. 
and I'm going to really try to understand the eyebrows in this shot and do a good job. I think that's a great way to slowly but surely build on your skill set. Um, and this is something I want to incorporate more, even with my work. Um, and yeah, it could be anything. Or And I, I kind of thought of this when I was uh, reflecting on my experience with, you know, talking with some of my coworkers and over past movies too, where they were like, uh, I remember one, like in particular, um, I wasn't on the first boss baby, but I, you know, a lot of the people I worked with at DreamWorks were, and I remember since he didn't have teeth and he, you know, was really gummy and had a bunch of, you know, <laughs> had a really fleshy lips. A lot of them said, man, that was like a masterclass in lip sync because it was, we had to think about it in a way we never had before. And we tried to be really graphic, but really cartoony with it. And um, I feel like a lot of animators would say they got a lot better at lip sync just because of that movie. And I think you can have like mini versions of that, which with each shot you do, where it's like, yeah, like I said, I'm going to focus on brows this time where I'm going to have really beautiful graphic hand shapes, you know, and really focus on how I can group the fingers nicely and have them fluid, but feel still feel strong and just kind of set those mini challenges for yourself um, with each shot, because obviously you're trying to do everything well, but it's so overwhelming to say, you know, I'm going to focus on everything on every shot, even though you kind of are trying to do that. Um, I think that's a good way. Just break it down into smaller things you want to improve on and try to be as objective with yourself as possible. Like uh, one thing I personally, I'm trying to work on my facial animation. I think generally one of my strong suits is that I, I, I tend toward kind of more physical stuff and, and I like getting a lot of physicality in my shots. And, and then because of that, I think sometimes I can shortchange the facial. So knowing that that's something I, I now try to focus on in shots. Um, so I think things like that can, can be a big help. Those are really, really good things. I love having a, the idea of having a goal when you animate, like having, like you said, graphic shapes or whatever. And going back to what Katie said about how you shouldn't animate the same thing over and over again, um, kind of another aspect to that I thought that could help is kind of animate what scares you, like what you're really not comfortable with. Like um, if you're used to animating biped characters talking in kind of subtle shots, maybe you animate a cartoony quadruped shot, which sounds horrifying, probably <laughs> first going to it. But I would argue that you're going to do a lot more work in planning that shot because you're so insecure about the mechanics. You're like, okay, well, how does a dog walk? Like, how do I, how do I do this? And you're going to look up videos. And I certainly, that's sort of how I try to approach learning animation is like, what am I weak at? And then just do that thing. You're going to suck. You're going to suck so bad at it, but you're going to get like, after you do that thing, you're going to be, you're going to learn more than, you'd ever have learned by just doing the same comfortable thing over and over again. Um, yeah. totally. That's a great point. Yeah. If you want more inspiration for like what exercises to try, just model your self-taught program off of the online schools, off of the exercises you're seeing coming out of internship programs and apprentice programs, which generally I think a very common progression that I'll see is Bouncing ball, bouncing ball with a tail, a simple walk cycle, just legs, and then a walk cycle, maybe a 
a pantomime and a dialogue piece um, and just kind of make sure you kind of check those boxes of the most common exercises, a push and pull exercise, a lifting the box exercise. All of those things are such valuable exercises, which is why like so many programs include them. So um, yeah. yeah, just keep, keep going. So now for number seven, this is from at Claire Ingram underscore art. Do you have any advice on how to develop a portfolio while working non-industry jobs after college? Great question, Claire. Really good question. Um, I actually don't have much advice about this, but I will. I can just say basically it's really tough because I've been in that situation. And finding a balance between working on your portfolio and not burning out from doing all your normal work in addition to working on your portfolio, that's like super hard and it's very personal and you have to figure out a kind of a system that works for you. Um, I, I know when I was um, working in games, I was taking a class at Anim school and I could really only work on it on the weekends. Um, and that kind of worked for me where basically 40 hours a week, I was at the game company. And then I worked a little bit on the weekend or I worked like 16 hours, I think uh, on the weekend. So it was, it was a lot. It was hard. I, I don't, it was messy. It was crazy. I learned a ton, but I don't have much in the way of like, there's no like way to just give you more time automatically. You just have to figure out a system that, I think works for you, but I will say that finding finding out how you can do this will help you so much because even when you're in the job you want at the studio you want to be, you're going to be wanting you're you're going to still be wanting to push your portfolio outside of work. I think because it's going to take a while to get to a place where you're at you know a studio you like you have the job that you like and that you're being creatively fulfilled. Basically everything is being fulfilled at your job. More likely than not, you're going to be at a studio and you might not be getting the shots you want, or maybe you want to, you're, you want to get some other position or, or whatever. It's just the earlier you figure it out, the better um, is my point. And so I think whatever it is you have to do, try to try to figure it out. Um, and cause it will benefit you throughout your entire career. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. I kind of went through something similar when I was a PA and I was thinking about transitioning into animation. And um, yeah, I worked on my short film in CG on the weekends and I wasn't shy about using my sick days and vacation days to work on it because um, that's time that you're kind of allotted to have off. Hopefully your job gives you some of that um, paid time off. Um, I think I even took unpaid time off sometimes to work on it just to keep myself motivated and healthy <laughs> and yeah, not burning out too much by working on working on it at, during the nighttime. And, um, one big tidbit of advice I would give is Make sure that whatever you're trying to do on the side is something that you're really passionate about and excited about. Because if you're, if it's a drag or it's a chore, then you can count on not doing it. <laughs> it has to be something where that um, lights the fire under your belly in some way and keeps you going um, for those times when it's tough. And um, the only other 
point I would make is just it's helpful to know of stories of other people who have done it and succeeded. So I know of plenty of people who um, also worked in production in jobs that they weren't creative um, and worked on their portfolio on the side for even periods of time as long as six or seven years. So you're not alone if this is something you're dealing with. And it's a marathon, not a race, like we've said before. Um, and it can feel, you might have low points. You might have points where you even quit. But if you come back to it and you just kind of try to keep seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, you'll get through it hopefully and, um, and it will be rewarding. Yeah. Or, yeah. I think the best thing, like Katie said, it's a marathon, just, um, it chip away, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever you can do when you're working another job and trying to do extra schooling on the side or extra, uh, project on the side, doing anything is so valuable. And, yeah. you know, obviously I think it's great to set, um, goals for yourself and say, I'm going to put in X amount of hours, but honestly, anything you're doing is better than nothing. And yeah. just take heart in that fact. I remember even when we were in school and feeling really burnt out and stuff or, or, or pretty fresh out of school and trying to do classes on the side and stuff to learn more, we would say, okay, I just, I have to force myself to open the file and set one key. Yeah. And like, that would be it, you know, and we'll say, okay, if we do that, we will consider ourselves a success for the day. Yeah. And I wonder if you can hear our cat scratching. Yeah, cat our scratching cat has been like eating in the background. And, uh, <laughs> so we apologize if you've picked up on any of that. Also, I meant to say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, not a race. Whoops. I was going to cry, but I think we all know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I say that with the really small goals because just speaking for myself, I'll often set like big goals and then become discouraged when I don't do it. Like, okay, I'm going to like, do a cool drawing every day and post it and that, you know, and then it just doesn't happen. And I'm like, oh, whatever. But like, I remember, you know, like I said, when we were in school, just having those super really attainable goals, like, okay, just open the file, set a key. We would usually end up doing more than that anyway. Right. Whereas I feel like had we said, okay, every day we have to work on it for four or five hours, we definitely would have skipped days and like not have worked at all. So, um, yeah, I think keep things, keep your goals attainable, uh, kind of have, you know, those two levels of goals, your overall life goals and stuff that are, you know, the bigger things. And then those little things that'll motivate you day to day or week to week. All right. Moving on to question eight, coming to us from at Jose Granera 19 on Instagram. Can you show us your student reels? Jose? Yes. Technically, <laughs> we already have. Yeah. But we're not gonna we're not gonna call you out on it, Jose. It's okay. You can come to the podcast at any time and see. <laughs> so I would say uh check out our I believe in episode one show notes. Yes. We have our student reels on our website. And then if you're just interested in general real um information, I would say check out our episode with Guillermo Carriaga, where we talk about all things related to demo reels. So the information is there. 
check it out, my friend. I would also just add that we're all pretty easily stalkable if you just search our names in demo <laughs> reels. <laughs> and then you can probably trace the history of our work on Vimeo and YouTube. There you and, go. Yeah, find us that way. So here's so, an invitation <laughs> to stalk all three of us. Worry not <laughs> at Jose Granera. You can find us everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number nine from at Erkman7. How have you dealt with self-doubt when you didn't think your work was good enough? Fantastic question. Good one. Gosh, this is one of those questions which I think could be a whole episode, but I'll try to <laughs> give some quick bullet points um, for ways that I've dealt with it. Uh, I think probably a big shift in my thinking and it's very hard to do and i'm still working on it on a daily basis is to only compare myself to myself and not to others the most damaging thing you can do is yeah to constantly comparing yourself to others because you have no idea the background that other people are coming from. You have no idea how often they're animating on the side, how much experience they have, what resources they had along the way. Um, so it's just not helpful. And when you compare yourself to yourself, you can track your progress. You'll know objectively, okay, even though I'm not quite where I want to be, I'm still better than where I was a year ago. Um, so as much as you can try to divorce that. <laughs> and I'm about to like seemingly contradict myself, but my next point is don't compare yourself <laughs> to others, but you can, something that I do is I track others progress and occasionally you'll find accounts online of animators who have kept every demo reel they've ever had. And for me, it's helpful to see like a very senior animator and their first demo reel just to kind of know, okay, everybody has to start somewhere. Everyone was amateur at some point. Everyone was a student. Um, and just knowing that you still have a chance to get where you want to go and um, it just takes time. I think that is a helpful reminder. So I know this kind of sounds like comparing yourself to others, but it's more like, comparing your or it's more that you are understanding that it takes time to learn this and everyone else takes time too and i don't know if i'm phrasing this very well no, yeah, <laughs> does that good. make sense yeah okay you know i think i like what you're saying because definitely in past instagram posts and in past podcasts we have said it can be confusing because we have said you need to be able to objectively compare your work to others' work. Yeah. And that's true. When you're going for jobs, you want to be able to do that. But, you know, everything in life and in your career, it's all a balance, right? You want to, when you're feeling discouraged, that is not the time to start comparing yourself to everyone around you. Like, you, for very practical reasons, it's good to be able to compare yourself to others' work to see, like, okay, these are the skills I need to get this internship or job or whatever. But... When you're feeling super discouraged, just look at yourself and see, okay, a year ago, I had only done this many animations. I you know, was struggling with this, but since then I learned 
this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. my most recent shot or, or the shot I did, you know, two shots ago was better than anything I did, you know, a year ago. I say that because not every shot you do is going to be the best shot you've ever done up to that point. But I think it's, uh, yeah, you have to know when to, you know, compare yourself to others versus yourself. You, you got to know when to not look at everyone else's profile in Instagram and how amazing they are. And, you know, just to focus on your skills. Yeah. So, yeah. And for me, I, I directly combat self doubt with action. Like I will say, Oh man, I'm feeling really insecure about dialogue. So you know what? I'm going to practice dialogue on the side or I feel really insecure about my workflow and I don't understand this tool or how to do this. So I'm going to reach out to my mentor and ask my mentor for help on this and admit that I'm struggling. Um, So like try not to wallow in self-doubt and let it paralyze you. Try to have it motivate you and channel that sort of insecurity into your work because the only way that you can get rid of that insecurity honestly is working (laughs) like sometimes i hate the weekends because it's so hard to show my shot on a friday if i'm insecure about it and the only thing that'll make me feel better is to keep working on it yeah um so i just say yeah don't pause just like dive into your work and you'll feel better because you know that you put in the effort and you put in the hours to get better. And hopefully it's clear with, you know, Ben and Katie's responses that this is still very much an issue for all of us, like self-doubt. And and we want you, we want you to know, hopefully it's a comfort that like, you will never get over this. (laughs) This is something that will take you forever. That's a very good point. I, I think part of dealing with it is just making friends with those feelings too and saying yeah. like, it's normal that I'm feeling this way. Everyone feels this way. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would bring back um, Guillermo's point that he brought up in our demo reels episode of try to have another source of um, self-worth <laughs> and confidence totally outside of animation Um, that you can draw upon where it's like, okay, I'm struggling with my shot, but you know what? Like, I'm a really good cat mom. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, I, you know, I went for an hour bike ride today and like, that's worth something. And I, you know, cooked dinner for my friends or whatever it is. Just your work is not your worth. The the last little thing I'd like to mention, and it might be stupid is for me, like, the little victories are things that I remember and that, that helped me when I have self-doubt. Like I remember for Anim School, for instance, they posted my shot on their Facebook page. They said like, oh, this is a work that Garrett Lewis did. And it was like, and I felt so good and validated from that, just seeing that. And I know that's like, oh, like Facebook likes and or, or whatever. But I was just like, okay, like I'm not doing that bad if they're posting this and i think that can apply to a lot of things if you're doing well in school maybe your teacher gives you a comment or um your your friend reaches out to you and says like wow that was a really really good job on your shot like focusing remembering and maybe even writing that down like when those things happen and just being like 
I, I am getting better. Like you guys said, tracking progress. I think that's that's good. Yeah, Gosh. that's a great point. What? Yeah, one very like practical thing that you just mentioned is writing it down. And I will be honest and say I've kept a journal. Like I try to kind of write down my feelings and somehow the act of writing things down makes you kinder to yourself and you work through the tough pro or struggles you're having. And what's really interesting too, is when you read back something you wrote a few months ago or a year ago and you realize, Hey, I got through that, even though at the time it felt like the end of the world or the most important thing that had ever happened to you. And then when you revisit it later, you realize, Oh, I didn't even, I don't even remember what I'm talking about here. <laughs> and it kind of puts it all in perspective in the bigger picture. So yeah, keep a journal and watch your own progress that way. So big number 10 question. So this is from at a E C H draws. Um, they're looking for advice for senior films or group projects in general. Very good question. Amazing question. And oh my gosh, do I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I do think I would love to at some point do a, like a podcast episode on, on like films or something like that, but I'll try to make it really let, quick. Let us pause for a second. Yes. Our co-host Garrett Lewis oh. just recently posted his short yeah. film brush. So you could not be asking a better person than this guy <laughs> right now. So first of all, let us give Garrett another, Katie just gave one, round of applause. <laughs> Congratulations, Garrett. Thank you very much. I'm doing the horn because it's deserved. It is deserved. It's quiet. There you go. <laughs> Garrett, write this victory in your journal tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, but yes, uh, we would, I would love to do like an episode on, uh, you know, film tips, but to kind of simplify it super, to super simplify it, I would say the biggest piece of advice I have for senior films or group projects is just keep the film as small scale as possible, meaning limit your amount of characters, your environments. If you can do one character, one environment, like one prop, I know it sounds crazy, but just limit yourself to as few yeah. things as possible because the more characters you have, the more environments you have, it's exponentially harder um, to get the thing done. And you limiting yourself will actually help, I think, make the story better because you're going to find creative ways to, you know, make it work. So I definitely think that's, if you can take one thing away, small scale, small scale, small scale. And then I would say also, Second thing is try to rely on as few people as possible. Um, like ideally you could finish the film if other people left for whatever reason. So try to do that. I know that's hard because there's so many facets to films with like rigging and texturing and everything. But if you can, if you can do that, that's, uh, that's great. And I mean, I have a ton of more to say on this, but that those are the two, two big things, but. Uh, that's great. I, Garrett has already said it and I'll just reiterate it. Quality over quantity. Be mindful of scope. You know, I we heard it when we were students and we didn't listen to it and then we paid yeah. the price. It happens to everyone. 
Simple, simple, simple. I'm reminded of um, one of my favorite Pixar shorts is Jerry's Game, which yeah. is like the first Pixar short. It is literally, it is one set. It is one character playing two characters and it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, that's a, a fantastic story, you know? So you can't argue with the fact that simplicity can lend itself to an amazing story. Please try to go that way because you have so much to... You know, as we know, just from being animators, you can spend a whole day on a character doing a quick expression change or something. You know, when you extrapolate that over a whole film where you're trying to model, you know, texture, animate characters, do the whole environments, everything, do yourself a favor. Please go simple. Yeah. I mean, do not expect to be able to make a short film at all on the scope of any of the shorts that the major studios have done. Recognize that those shorts have crews of like 50 people that are experts in their fields and quite possibly costs millions of dollars to make. So do not have that expectation going in that you're going to do anything on that scope. And if you see student films coming out of various colleges, pay attention to the credits list. <laughs> if it's a student film that was made from one of the top colleges in France and the credits list has like 20 people, know that it takes those 20 people to finish the film <laughs> versus a simpler student film that has two people um, maybe that's what you should go for if that's if you only have two people to work on it. So very much keep in mind what's realistic. Know that every 10 seconds you add could be adding a couple weeks to a month of work. It's just, yeah, we can't reiterate enough how important it is to limit the scope. Yeah, we, I, I totally fell victim to it. I made a short film or I planned on making a short film that was over four minutes long, had four characters technically because they aged and water, they were fishing and I did a 2D fishing line. I went way too complex. Um, I needed effects and lots of animation. So yeah, we just can't ex or convey enough how important it is to limit the scope yeah and another thing we wanted to say is choose your partners carefully that might be an obvious one but uh creating any sort of short film or anything it is an incredibly <laughs> intimate intense <laughs> experience yeah. so please make sure it's people who you feel comfortable with people who you would feel comfortable having an argument with you know because part yeah. of like any sort of creative endeavor is being able to disagree gracefully with other people, you yeah. know, and to be able to work through that. And if you have a disagreement that it can just be about the disagreement, it doesn't have to call into question your friendship or, or, you know, your respect for the person or anything. It can just be about the work and localized to that. Um, so that's, yeah. Another big thing, maybe it's best to do a scene, you know, a senior film with someone who is not your best friend because there's way too much like personal, you know, relationship, personal factors going on there. So you want someone who it can be a little more objective with. Um, 
So again, obviously everything's case by case, but these are some uh, maybe yeah. some things to very heavily consider putting out there. The last piece of advice I would give is just to consider the importance of your film versus kind of how that film will serve you when you're job seeking. Like if you know that you need to get a job as soon as you graduate, I would just think heavily about, okay, how can this film serve my portfolio? And maybe, I know it sounds terrible, but maybe kind of shelve your like auteur instinct to be like, this is my like very personal project and I'm okay going super experimental and avant-garde with it. This sounds terrible, but I just, <laughs> my main point is just like, don't think you're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm just kidding. They can, they I just can. think it's an important consideration. If you're going to be putting months or years into a project, it's worthwhile to consider how that project will serve you on the job hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very well said. So for question number 11, this is from Uma via email, um, directed at our very own Katie Lowe. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I feel so honored. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel so slighted. But I, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you've been able to experience working in different departments in the pipeline throughout your career. Um, for example, story, lighting, editorial, animation. Uma, good job. You've been listening yeah, very good closely. Homework. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Uma asks, uh, what has each of these experiences taught you and how have they helped you in your journey to become a CG animator? Wow. That's Wowza. a great, very specific question. It Thank is. you. <laughs> um, what I would say is, Story and editorial taught me to kind of contextualize my animation and very much keep an eye on the big picture and not get lost in my own specific shot, but make sure I'm paying attention to how is my shot serving the story overall. So maybe I have a simpler shot and it's not the right moment to make it something big and broad and elaborate. And it really is just supposed to be a simple, quiet moment that serves the story. Because um, I think as animators, it's easy to kind of fall into the trap of, oh, I have to make this shot the craziest, most elaborate, most animation-y shot that I can make it. But... Mm -hmm. It's not, Ooh, oh, we think I heard a firework outside. Hey. But continuing on, <laughs> um, it's easy to fall into that trap, but really you, you do need to take into account the context, um, the character, the character's arc, and keep all of that in mind. Um, and you do appreciate kind of the evolution of a story when you have exposure to seeing how it's brainstormed and even how it's recorded. Um, and you do have this sense that everything, everything in an animated movie has been decided specifically, like every piece of dialogue, every 
sort of camera angle and that kind of thing. So I, I think it helps you, yeah, contextualize your shot and just kind of have appreciation for the film as a whole. Um, and my experience in the lighting department, what I learned in lighting was to think about how the color and amount of lightness and darkness can tell the story um, just as much as the acting, just in what kind of feelings they evoke in the lighting and cinematography of a shot. Also, funny, the lighting department trained my eye to catch things like penetrations because lighting is sort of the last line of defense for little mistakes. So I kind of learned to do this thing that my lighting or head of lighting used to do, which is <laughs> I learned to kind of look at one character at a time, one quadrant of the frame at a time, and just look for any little mistakes I can, checking all the hand contacts, the feet contacts, um, anything like that. And you, when you focus your eye, your eye does get better at catching little penetrations and things. So that was kind of a funny thing that, was sort of a side effect of being the production person and lighting. And I remember I actually had a moment where I was in a room with like all of the supervisors, including lighting and environments and the layout soup. And I actually caught a, a penetration that nobody else caught. And I was hey, very um. excited that I spoke up. Um, and I was like a lowly little PA at the bottom of the totem pole, but um, it was a very proud moment for me. And um, the last department, actually, there are two more departments I worked in. Wow, I worked in a lot. Um, <laughs> I also worked in the effects department. And gosh, if anything, I just learned to appreciate the work of other departments and seeing how all of these departments really add up to the whole of conveying the story. So effects was great because... I learned how important it was to collaborate with the effects artists and how much it really helps just the overall process to reach out to the effects artists and let them know what you're planning. And um, I actually had a shot as an animator where Elsa was falling through the sky and crashing into the ocean in Frozen 2. And what I animated was technically faster than possible in gravity <laughs> but and the effects artist simulations were based in real world physics so like they couldn't match my animation so we had a lot of back and forth and um and I knew to kind of work with them because I had already been in effects as a PA um I'm kind of droning on here but it's, it's all kind of just adding up to like being appreciative of other departments and knowing that everything helps convey the story. Um, and this goes for Tech Anim. This is the last department I'll mention that I worked in. Um, and Tech Anim at Disney is like the cloth and hair department. And they also actually do a ton of silhouette work, which you might normally attribute to the animator. Um, and they'll make cleaner sort of um, like creases in the neck or armpit areas and might clean that up if the rig can't support it. Um, and I, I feel like Tech Anim helped me appreciate 
frame by frame animation and making sure that every frame was clean, every frame was graphic in some way. Um, Cause when I was in tech and that was Wreck-It Ralph 2 and Ralph as a character was a super graphic character and they were always paying attention to how can we make sure that he stays cubic and doesn't become too organic and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, tech anim helped me appreciate, like, we're going to single out a frame of animation and clean it up. Um, and again, all of it adds up to tell a story, how the cloth moves from the princess dresses, um, anything and everything helps convey the story. So that's a long winded answer, but <laughs> oh. it really does all help me. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I have a quick follow up, not to keep keep this question going, but I'm just very curious, like, um, Katie, I know yeah. like, animators, their biggest interaction with production is oftentimes like, okay, like we have a deadline, right? And the production's like, okay, this is your deadline. And it's kind of that back and forth about when a shot is due or whatever. Um, you are in a unique position to have been in that side of it, knowing like, you know, you will tell an artist their deadline or you'll kind of be responsible for that or whatever. Do you like... How is it being on the other side of that? I guess <laughs> that's a great question. And I feel embarrassed that I didn't even think to like address what it's like being a PA versus um, an, an artist. But I would just say having been in production, I valued communication with my artists above all because I was always happy to give more time for someone who needed more time, if I had ample warning, um, the what was hardest was feeling like I had to chase down someone or they were avoiding me. Um, and so I've taken that into my career as an animator by being very consistent with communication and very vocal about needing more time early on um, or even if I do need to ask for more time, fairly last minute, being very apologetic and um, and thankful if I am granted more time. And um, yeah, I guess the biggest thing is just learning the value of communication with production. Um, and yeah, taking that into my career as an artist. Also just, I think it's easy, um, the last thing I'll say is, I think it's fairly easy for artists to assume the worst of production and assume that they want you to hit your deadlines no matter what, and they don't care about the quality of the work or anything like that. But having been in production, I know that everyone wants to make the best film they can. Um, very often production people are just the middlemen. <laughs> and um, if they are, saying, hey, like, we need you to show, or hey, like, are you going to hit this deadline? Very often, <laughs> it's just somebody who's being the middleman for their superior. Um, so I've also learned just to be more empathetic towards production in that regard. Um, yeah, all awesome. of that. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's all so great. That's <laughs> That's a huge thing. I feel like I would, other animators and I would always kind of chat with each other about if anybody was ever getting to it. It's such like a personal thing when someone gets like, when you're working on your animation and someone's like, Hey, you're going to show, or are you going to do this? Like it's hard. Sometimes it's hard not to be like, like 
I will. And the fact that you're asking makes me feel like I'm already behind and I'm aggravated and stuff, but you need to stay cognizant of 99.9% of the time, the person who is asking you if you want to show, it's nothing personal. They're just doing their job. They don't care when you show, (laughs) like from a personal perspective, they just have on their sheet that like, hey, this person was cast this, it should take roughly this amount of time. They're just trying to do their best. So the yeah. best you can do is be nice to them and, you know, communicate early on if it's not going to happen, like Katie said, because they need to communicate that up the ranks as well. Um, so, yeah, everybody's kind of, everybody's just trying to do their best at their job. So yeah. you have to recognize that. And I love what you said about, you know, just respecting each individual department and, I love the mindset of like, nobody really owns a shot. The yeah. shots are all shared by all mm-hmm. the different departments. So yeah, I do, that's great. I, I don't have anything else to add. I think <laughs> I just, I love, you know, thinking, being in that mindset of that your shots are really not your shots. Yeah. They're, they're shots that you're sharing with other incredibly talented artists and incredibly talented, diligent production people and, you know, treat everyone as they are your equals because mm-hmm. they are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. One little thing, just a little bit harking back to the confidence question is one practical thing I took from production into being an artist is just the knowledge that as a PA, I never stayed up all night thinking about whether one artist was going to hit their deadline. (laughs) Like I I, was very much just tracking the team as a whole, very (laughs) much aware that some people were going to be faster. Some people were going to be slower. There were specific challenges we were facing as a team that we had never dealt with before, like a brand new character or a crazy sequence that had tons of action or anything like that. And Very often when I'm worrying about my deadline as an artist, I think, you know what? I don't think my supervisors or my production supervisor are staying up at night wondering when I'm going to deliver my shot. So (laughs) I actively remind myself of that fact all the time. That is such a great point (laughs) because I think that's the first place you go to as an artist. You're like, oh my God. I have to tell Katie I'm going to be a day late. (laughs) She is going to be chatting with all of her friends, laughing about how I'm such a piece of shit and like can't hit my deadlines. And yeah, that's not it at all. That being said, communicate. Yes. Let them know if you're going to be a day late, but don't worry about it. Yeah. Turns out all of your supervisors have been up at night thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I can't believe. That. Yeah. Cool. That was a that was a really fruitful question. Good, good job. That was a good one. Okay, so moving on to number twelve, I believe this is also from Uma uh, through email. I'm starting a one year course in 3D animation and visual effects, but I also really enjoy the storyboarding side of animation. Let's say that after that year, I end up wanting to pursue storyboarding. Uh, do you think that switch would still be possible? So I guess the question is, is it okay to switch from 3D animation stuff to storyboarding? Is it too late to switch? Uma, that is totally okay. <laughs> that is not as big of a switch as you're probably thinking in your head. I mean, yes, it will come with its own challenges and it'll be 
you know, a very, I'm sure will come with its own insecurities and, you know, difficulties, but you can totally do that. And there are multiple, we are going to talk about three people we know who have made that switch after working as professional animators for multiple years. Um, but even if you're just in school, I mean, that's nothing. That it, That's totally okay to make that switch. It's totally okay to make that switch if you're studying medicine and then want to go into storyboarding or anything. You know, it's... I. The only thing that would make that impossible is your mindset, I think. You know, if you're open and willing to do the work that it takes to change into another discipline, the sky is the limit for sure. Uh, so... Like I said, just to name a few people who have successfully done that. Um, a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know who Alan Ostergar is. Um, he's an amazing animator who was a trainee at Disney and then became a full-time animator at Disney. Has one of my favorite Zootopia reels <laughs> I've seen out there. You know, And his Moana stuff was amazing. And definitely was on his way, I think, to be a supervisor or really, you know, high up in animation. But he decided to make the switch and go into story and became a story trainee at Disney and is now a storyboard artist on Raya in The Last Dragon, the movie that all three of us are currently working. Oh my God, hiccuping. <laughs> that all three of us are currently working on. Um, so the that's a great one right there. And he did that by like, he literally went to figure drawing every week and every session, which is at least two times a week at Disney from the, his first week he did figure drawing and just got very strong at drawing. And then there was kind of like a slow down period when they postponed the Ralph release date for Record Ralph 2. And he yeah. took that time during the slow period to like really work on his storyboarding skills and strengthen them and worked and got feedback from the story artists at the studio. So um, it's not something he did without putting any work into it, but yeah, no, he not was able to make the switch. Yeah, he put a ton of work into it for sure. Actually, I remember we were going to hang out with him one night, him and Cynthia, and then we were like, oh, we're kind of busy. We have this going on. And then they were like, oh, actually, that works out because Alan's busy working on his story reel. Yeah. And that was when he was already a very successful animator. So, yeah, it's, t- it's totally up to you what you're willing to put into it. You, like I said, it, it sounds stereotypical, but the sky is the limit. You can do whatever you want to do. Um, aside from famous handsome Alan. We'll, we'll give other examples. Um, not that these people are less handsome. They're equally handsome. <laughs> more. But um, <laughs> uh, Ken Morrissey is another one. I think he was a storyboard artist on Wreck-It Ralph 2. Yes. And is storyboarding at Disney TV right now? Maybe? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And he was a really great animator at DreamWorks for a long time, right? Do you know how many years, Katie? No, we don't know how many years, but multiple years. (laughs) Definitely multiple years. But awesome work on Kung Fu Pandas. He did like the amazing shot, I think he did, of Master Ugwe blowing out the candles in the first Kung Fu Panda, which like so cool, so awesome. He was obviously incredibly talented and, you know, decided to go the story route. And then another one is uh, Marco... 
Re, I'm going to say his last name wrong now. I know. Marco Regina. Do you know, Garrett? Regina. Regina. Or, Regina. I don't know if that sounds too like American. I don't know. Marco, R-E-G-I-N-A. He's a really talented, awesome animator at DreamWorks. And then uh, recently he's been, or in the past he has done a little bit too, but he's uh, doing more story stuff recently where he's just working there as a storyboard artist. Um, so we just wanted to give you three really concrete examples. I'm sure there are many, many more of people who are working in TV or commercials or a number of different uh, media types that, you know, were animators or were writers or were in totally different, you know, disciplines and then became storyboard artists. Um, at the end of the day, what any director or studio or anybody is going to care about is your portfolio, what you can do. Can you help tell the story that they want to tell or sell the product they, they want to sell? And if you can do that through your storyboarding skills or your animation skills or your modeling skills, there's work for you out there. Yeah. I would just be cognizant of the fact that like any discipline in animation will likely take years to get to a level where you're hireable. So just be aware of that fact that if you do pivot, be prepared to take on additional training, additional schooling or self-schooling. Um, it, like, I'm sure you're aware of this, but it's not going to be an instant switch with that. You can just get hired and you'll need to put in the work. But yeah, if you put in the work, the sky's the limit, as Ben said. And your previous skills will probably help in, in your whatever you're pursuing. So if you're doing creative, that's going to help a lot with storyboarding. Okay. So question number 13 is from, it's a great name (laughs) at Miro, my boy. (laughs) Fantastic. Well done. I wonder if you have any tips for someone trying to break into the animation industry being an adult, meaning changing industries slash coming from a different educational background. It would be cool to hear if you know of such examples of people who have succeeded in this. That's a good one to follow our last one. Yeah, it's very related to the last question. Um, We definitely recommend that you listen to episode one where we, all three of us, talked about our backgrounds and discussed kind of at length how Ben and I used to be pre-med and then we switched disciplines and we decided to go into graduate school and also episode three, where we talked to Paula Benedicto Martinez, who was a trainee and apprentice with me at Disney. And she came from an engineering background and totally switched. So kind of the big ways that you would do this are looking into the online schools um, that can teach you animation at home or while you're working a job. Um, online schools that immediately come to mind include Animation Mentor, Anim School, I Animate, Anim Squad. Um, I don't know if I'm forgetting any <laughs> um, schoolism for more vis dev stuff and that kind of thing. So you can definitely pursue schooling while you're working in another industry or if you just want to take some time off to do school. You can look into brick and mortar schools and look into MFA programs like Ben and I did going to the SCAD MFA program. And in one of our future episodes, we are going to discuss the differences and pros and cons between online schools and MFA programs at length. 
But um, to get to the second part of your question, examples of people who succeeded in this, um, yeah, listen back to episode one. It feels weird to plug ourselves, but um, Ben pivoted from graphic design. I pivoted from being pre-med and from live action television uh, at NBC. And then we know some friends. I feel like maybe the heart of this question is like, okay, what if I'm in my 30s and I want to start animating or like I'm already an adult. I'm in my 40s. Who knows? And I would just say it's never too late. No, like I said in the last question, it might take a few years to get to a level where you're, you can get hired as a professional, but it's never too late. Um, we have a friend who, when we went through our MFA program, he was 30 and we were, I guess, 23. Um, so it's, it's really never too late. You just have to be okay with kind of hitting the pause button for a little bit. Maybe mm -hmm. you save up money so that you can put all of your energy and focus into your schooling and your training. Um, do you guys know of any other examples off the top uh, of your head? That's a big one. I mean, as long as financially it's viable for you to, you know, take a pause and, you know, switch up trajectories or, or if you're able just time wise to take classes outside of what you're doing, there's no limit. No studio is going to say, Oh, this person's 50 years old. Yeah. But the reel's amazing. We don't want them because they're too old. They're, that's not going to happen. They're going to think, they're going to say, okay, we need people. This person's reel is amazing. We're going to hire them. You know, they, there's no conversation about how old someone is or what they did previously. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, what you can bring to the table and you're real. Um, so yeah, I think it's great that you said that. It might even give you an edge and make you more memorable. Like I think, didn't Guillermo say in the demo reels episode that he remembered meeting someone at CTN who was like maybe in his late thirties or forties and he was pivoting from being an accountant. Yeah. I think yeah. he said so more power to you if you want to make the switch. That's, and I remember working at DreamWorks. One of my coworkers was Joe Chong. Gosh, I'll have to, I'll have to verify with him and maybe we will update this recording, <laughs> but he worked in some sort of crazy, like he worked on like airplanes and like was an engineer in some respect for like, did something with that, but it was like so intense and like so clearly something you would have to go through a lot of schooling to, you know, be able to have the job that he had. And then he decided to pivot and go into animation and is doing awesome stuff now. So do, trust us, there are no shortage of people uh, who have done just that, you know, gotten yeah. into animation later on. So uh, don't worry. If, if it's what you're passionate about, you can totally do it. I don't care how old you are. If, yeah, if you're in your late 20s and you're like, oh, I'm a little past college, it's too late. Or if you're in your mid 50s, that's totally fine. If you have the financial capability to study those things and, you know, do it, it's, yeah, opportunities are there. So number 14 comes to us from at Clavita Fernandez. And she asks, which one's better, online courses or animation schools? Oh, man. 
question of the century. Um, so <laughs> we are actually going to do an episode on this. We have one planned, but uh, the whole stay at home, the quarantine stuff has put a little bit of a wrench into it, but we will do a episode on this. Um, I can give you, a, we can give you sort of a little summary of it, uh, but it really depends, you know, on a bunch of factors. And um, uh, it depends if you're looking for, like, if you know you want to be a storyboard artist or you know you want to be an animator, um, it might be a better situation to go into an online course because it's more specifically catered to that. Um, whereas if you go to like a brick and mortar school, uh, it's more general. Um, there's so much to this though, too. It's like, you know, if you do care about the degree, uh, if that's important to you, whether you, you know, you want to get a visa, uh, in, a, in another place that could be important. So that is a consideration where maybe a brick and mortar is better. So it really depends. Um, and I would like to hear your guys' take on this too, but like, I feel like the kind of rule of thumb, not totally rule of thumb, but is like, if you know 100% what you want to do, maybe it's better to go with the online route from a reputable online school, just in terms of cost, cost effectiveness, because certainly if you have all the money in the world, I mean, what it, you, it's amazing to be able to go to a school, meet people. I mean, and certainly online, like uh, brick and mortar schools aren't just about animation. It's about meeting people, socializing and networking and all that stuff. So uh, it's again, it's a complicated question. We're going to cover it more, but that's sort of the rule of thumb that I don't know. I thought about, but uh, I no, I I'd agree. I think that's exactly right, and <laughs> I I mean, people still listen to our other episode that we come out with in the future about online versus order, <laughs> but generally, I think I think that's basically it. Yeah. All right. Last question number fifteen. Oh man, this is. Uh, was asked by at Rachel underscore zero three ten underscore nineteen ninety six. Something <laughs> you wish you knew earlier in your career. Oh yeah, I guess this is like what's something you wish you knew earlier in your career. And really quickly, we did have an episode about uh, things we wish we knew, but uh, that is I think episode two. So definitely take a listen to that. And that was like specifically for things we wish we knew in school. Oh yeah. right, 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 yes. So definitely check that out. But um you know, as, aside from that, one of the main things I would say is I think um, there's a huge push while you're in school or early in your career to, can, and we talk about this too, with like comparing your reel to other reels that have been successful. And there's a big push to kind of conforming to a certain standard that is very marketable. And I think that's really valid and really valuable. But I think within that, if you're able, I would say really focus on what you're passionate about. Um, whether that's like, okay, you know, I'm going to try to have a well-rounded demo reel, but I in particular really love super crazy, physical, heavily choreographed shots. Then have a reel that's kind of, you know, heavy in that. Or like, okay, I'm going to have a well-balanced reel, but I also just really love creature animation. Try to err more on that side. It may sound kind of obvious, but I definitely went through my entire schooling career without doing this. 
and and I kind of spent the whole time just doing like, okay, what are shots that are similar to shots on other people's reels that have had success? And that's kind of what I spent my time doing, um, which was okay. But honestly, I think you can get so much out of, you know, having, like I said, I'm going to say it another time, a well-balanced reel, but try to also focus on what is uniquely you or what uniquely speaks to you. Um, for example, I, I, you know, if, if you really want to do some creature animation stuff, um, I would have a lot of that on there because I just feel like there's this weird tendency to, you know, what you're putting out there will be what you end up getting then, you know, if it's like, Oh, I, I really want to do subtle stuff. Eventually you'll find yourself getting cast subtle shots at studios and stuff. And basically what I'm cautioning against, I think is just trying to tailor make this kind of generic reel that you're not super passionate about. And then you start getting, you might get into your dream job, but then you're cast all these shots that are kind of similar to your reel, but it's not what you really wanted to do in the first place. Um, and it's all a balancing act for sure. You want to be objectively marketable while also representing yourself. And that, that's a tough thing to do. Um, but it certainly is possible. There, there's a lot of wiggle room in there. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest, that's kind of a weird gray kind of, you know, uh, not super objective thing, but, you know, I, I think that's one of the main things because I was definitely not focused in my schooling career on that. But I think it could be really helpful. And real quick, I'll give a specific example. I think, um, uh, well, you guys know better than I do, the animator uh, Marat, Marat, I think yeah, his name Marat. is. Yeah, Marat. He was at Disney for a number of years and just recently went to Pixar and um, <clears throat> he had this beautiful reel, you know, of all this really great, uh, well-balanced CG stuff where it was, uh, you know, some action shots, some nice subtle acting shots, you know, it, it definitely checked all the boxes. So that was great. And then he also had this fantastic, like, simple stop motion test where it was like just this really primitive character animating at his desk and you saw like he was getting a call from his girlfriend and she like got so mad goofy. because yeah, yeah super goofy because he wouldn't pick up the phone but then he like you know for a second he thought he heard the phone and then he just went back to animating and it sounds really simple and it's super goofy and it is simple but we'll link to uh this shot or his reel in our show notes and i think that shot just because it showed his particular sensibility and his sense of humor and what he was passionate you about. You can just feel how much fun he had while he yeah. was animating it. And yeah. Since it was something so specific to him, I think that really spoke to Disney when they yeah. hired him. And they were just like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. We got to chat with this guy. Um, so again, I, I think if I had to super condense everything I was just rambling about and say like, <laughs> check all the boxes and try to do something that's uniquely you, you know, like be marketable, but don't forget about what makes you, you and, and incorporate that into your reel if possible. I would say for me, the biggest thing that I wish I knew earlier in life and not just 
like in my career is the difference between a fixed versus growth mindset. Because I grew up, I think all my life, kind of believing that people were born with innate talents and those talents and the level of skill you had were kind of fixed. And it was just like this God-given thing that some people were good at some things and other people were bad at other things. And, um, and I think that mindset was so dangerous because whenever I struggled with something, I felt like I had to quit and focus on what I was good at, even if what I was good at, I didn't under, or I didn't enjoy as much as, things I was bad at and almost things I was bad at, I couldn't enjoy. Um, and I, if I got into a dangerous cycle of only enjoying things if I was good at them. And I will venture a guess that, um, and there have been studies showing that women often fall more into the fixed mindset camp than men do. And men are often more in the growth mindset. Maybe it's different for animators as a whole, but there have been psychological studies which show that like when people are raising girls, they'll say like, oh, you're so pretty, you're so smart. Um, and they those kinds of uh, compliments just feed into the growth mindset. Whereas when a boy like does well on something, I've, read that like often <laughs> they'll say look, parents might say like oh you worked really hard like good job or if they're struggling with a math test or something they'll say oh if you just focus or work harder then you'll do better and there's something culturally that and obviously both ends of the spectrum I'm sure experience both types of mindsets but I do think that at least for me I grew up believing in the fixed mindset and being coming and I became very dangerously frustrated with anything that I struggled with. Um, so applying this to animation, which is a discipline that takes years to learn. I wish that I had switched my mindset to the growth mindset faster because I think that's part of the reason when I struggled um, during my internship at Leica that I decided to quit and pivot to production management, which I knew I was good at um, getting very personal here. But it's something that I think I would have benefited from earlier on in my career is having the growth mindset, which is that practice helps. You can improve on anything and um, you can always learn more, always improve. Um, and it's definitely something that I apply with every shot every day at work. That's you guys both came up with amazing things, um, <laughs> amazing things. I, I agree with both of those things. One thing I wrote here, um, and this is for all the people who have parents that might not be supportive about animation because they don't take it seriously. Uh, is I, I wish I knew that animation is a valid, lucrative industry and there's a ton of jobs and it's really, it's, it sounds like, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's animation. You can like just draw some things and like, yeah, like, but when you actually really get a job, you should, you know, become a doctor or become a lawyer or whatever. But like, no, this is like people make a living doing this. And I, 
I think back then I didn't know that really. And I think a lot of people still are kind of getting accustomed to that. That That's like, it's a real thing. <laughs> so um, that's one thing I sort of wish I knew. Um, and I also, this is kind of going into what Katie said about the fixed mentality and all that is like, I wish I knew that you don't, uh, like, I think there's this maybe expectation that like, once you're at your dream company or once you're, you're in the job that you want to be, you're going to just, that like, that's going to provide you all the learning you need. I think it's important to realize that you need to just keep your skill skills sharp, even outside of work, like always, you need to just constantly be improving, um, which is really, you know, it's hard, but I think it, it's what makes the industry so great too, is like, we're all, always pushing ourselves. Um, it's not like, yeah, like once you're an animator at a company, you're just, that's it, you're done, you're, you're good, you know, like you have to keep, keep pushing. The last point that I'll add to this question is just kind of harking back to the question of, is the industry as bad as people are saying it is? And I think I wish I knew, and I think a lot of our friends wish they knew earlier on that there are parts of the industry that are tougher than others. Um, Certain disciplines, certain um, fields, certain companies, might have a trend of abusive practices with unpaid overtime or low pay or um, kind of short contracts or stringing people along um, and that sort of thing. And it's very good to be aware of that um, when you're breaking in and yeah, just knowing that going in, I feel like is so much better than getting surprised by it on the job Um, and related to this, I would also say that I kind of wish as a student or as someone breaking in that I had recognized earlier on when there was a dream I had that was no longer realistic for whatever reason, or like not a practical lifestyle. So an example I'll give about this is that like, I love the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I had friends who wanted to be 2D animators on Miyazaki films. And like, that's why they got into animation. That's why I got into animation. But then there's the very practical side of that where you need to know like, oh, Wes Anderson has done two stop motion movies ever and they were multiple years apart and they both took place in England for shooting. And like, you can't build a whole career and lifestyle over Wes Anderson occasionally making a stop motion movie. (laughs) And you can't build a whole career and lifestyle over moving to Japan and not knowing Japanese and potentially getting severely underpaid, which I've heard those 2D animators are. Um, so kind of taking like a very close look at like, what is my dream and is it actually realistic or attainable? Um, and this, oh God, this sounds so sad, but I just, it's just kind of a practical reality check, I guess, to consider. And I don't want to say don't dream. And there's definitely part of me that like 
wanted to work on Isle of Dogs when that booted up. But um, yeah, it's just something to very seriously take a hard look at. Like, did you get into animation because you loved a TV show, which is no longer active <laughs> or something? Like, you're never going to be able to work on that TV show. Um, that sounds so depressing. Can someone lighten the mood a little bit? <laughs> I guess the very like sh short summary is just knowing that the industry isn't perfect, and yeah, it it is a job working in the industry. There are going to be low points, um, and coming to terms with that, but then dealing with it. So great. Yeah as yeah abruptly as i can end that <laughs> <laughs> so now tip job <laughs> we could barely hear that garrett but we liked it <laughs> yeah. and gg's right. and gg's using her cat scratch in the background all right <laughs> Uh, okay, so for this one, we wanted to talk about uh, planning and choreographing complicated shots, uh, or really almost any kind of shot. But we want to talk about the importance of possibly using uh, just basic primitives to uh, plan and choreograph your shot. For example, I know Garrett and I were both on How to Train Your Dragon, and uh, with basically on any project, you're you're on whether it be a, a commercial or a tv show or feature film game whatever um a lot of times there are crazy complicated shots with you know cameras flying around everywhere and and a, or maybe it's a bunch of different characters and they're fighting each other or something um and somebody i think one of our old animation professors said like really animation is just a series of making decisions right <laughs> and eliminating variables and I think one of the most valuable things you can do is that when you have a super complicated shot, just use a very basic primitive to plan it out first. Um, and I can speak from experience on multiple movies and shows. I've used just a basic sphere or a cube to plan out, say like, okay, the character is generally going to be here and then they're going to take a couple steps and be over here. And then this character enters screen and does X, Y, and Z. And then that is totally something where maybe depending, you wouldn't send it to the client or the, to, to the director, but it's something I would then take and talk to my supervisor about and say, Hey, here's kind of a bare bones plan for the shot that I'm planning on doing before I actually get in there and start dealing with all the different controls in the rig um, and it's a good way for you and your supervisor or whomever to get on to the same page. Because really, I think that's one of the biggest time wasters, whether regardless of what field you're in in animation, is just having a different idea than your supervisor or the director or the client. Um, so it kind of helps things in it. <laughs> Our cat is still scratching, so sorry if you can hear it. But um, it, the the benefits are kind of two or threefold, really. Um, one, it helps you break down the shot into simpler, you know, beats or simpler bite-sized chunks that you can focus on. So when you're dealing with posing all the different parts of your character, you can still see it within the context of, okay, here's the overall choreography I was going for. 
Two, it helps you get onto the same page, like we said, with your supervisor or director and kind of figure out what you're planning for the shot. And three, I think it just makes things a little less intimidating. <laughs> and yeah. it gives you like a little more sense of accomplishment early on where you're like, okay, this, I did this kind of layout plus choreography pass and I feel good about it. I'm excited about it. So I'm going to work toward that as I'm blocking things out. I would add four. It's just faster. A lot of oh, yeah, that's a huge characters yeah. and rigs that we work with are heavy and they might have a lag in playback or they might have a lag in manipulation. But a sphere is like clean 24 frames per second playback. Yeah. Garrett and I had worked on a ride, which was 60 frames per second. And that was like impossible to get clean playback with the characters. So using primitives was extremely beneficial for that yeah. um yeah just practically it can be way faster for planning for sure great tip so we're actually coming towards the end of the episode which is normally when we give our social media plug um so yes please check out our instagram animation happy hour please check out our twitter which is at anim happy hour um check out our website animation happy hour uh, excuse me, animationhappyhour.com. You can email us with questions or comments, um, animationhappyhour at gmail.com. Make sure to check out the show notes for this episode, which you'll also find on our website. And the last thing that we will plug is a brand new thing we just started, which is our monthly newsletter. Woo! So you can subscribe yeah. to our newsletter on our website. Um, and basically what the newsletter is, is it will be released once a month on the 15th and we will give a reminder about the most recent episode as well as a preview of our upcoming episode. And then a very quick little list of some fun animation links that we put together from the month. So this could be cool demo reels or a nice, um, like upcoming speaker event or maybe even job listings that we found. So you definitely want to sign up um, and check it out. I promise I'm the one putting it together <laughs> and I promise that I will try not to include any spam. I just will genuinely pick things that I think are interesting and would interest our listeners. Um, so please, yeah, we encourage you to sign up and check it out. That's right. Awesome. And you also include your favorite review of the month, which oh, is a reminder to yeah. if anyone wants to uh, submit reviews for the podcast, you might be featured there. So yes. that's a new plug to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that about wraps it up for the Animation Happy Hour Q&A. This has been Garrett, Ben, and Katie. Thanks for listening and